It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Season two of the Pat and JT podcast. Oh my, now I'm here at last. The best time always gonna be the best. Come on. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Which actually, we may as well just start a podcast, as a matter of fact. Uh, Pat's trying to fix the equipment up for us. Oh, I got it. I I don't know how it did that. That was the weirdest thing. This is crazy. This is going to be quite the episode. Well, we'll see. We don't know for sure. (laughs) Let's let's not guarantee anything. Yeah. Uh, First off, I want to thank Dr. Larry Woodman for being with us today and coming back to be on another episode. Love having you on. Yeah, it was fun last time about six months ago, huh? Can you believe that was before everything blew up? Yeah. It all blew up, and I remember there was a lot of craziness that happened on that podcast with you guys. We're trying to get inside both of your heads. It was... Come on, stop saying, guys. I'm sorry. I don't know why it's not picking you up, but I hear you. I see it on the levels. Um, that's me. You're, you guys are over here. No. That's not true. Scratch that. <laughs> It's working totally fine. This is, this is looking you know, at the wrong is, monitor. This is called a shit show. It's <laughs> our bonus episode called The Shit Show. You know what? We need to change our mindset. I, yeah, thank goodness. Do we know somebody that can help us change our mindset? Right? Oh, my God. Wow. Dr. Woodman, um, first and foremost, let's, let's just kind of like uh, set the table here real quick of the things that you do and the stuff that you're doing and just kind of how, how you describe yourself. Well, I guess I, you know, I consider myself, you know, I'm actually a psychiatrist by training, so I call myself a high-performance psychiatrist, but truly most of the things that I do today, at least in this world, is what I call an elite mindset coach. So I'm really not using my psychiatric training per se. I'm helping people with high-performance mental skills and how do you develop an elite mindset? And then if you're working, you know, in the team setting, you know, how do you build a great team that has good trust and good chemistry and a culture and what I say, can we get you to ultimate trust? Because that's what great teams have to do. So right. that's my role I see is helping develop an elite mindset and, and help teams uh, max out. Interesting, because we just joined a new team, right? right. So with Herdat. Um, and it just crossed my mind. Some of the situations you're put in are where the team's already there and there's some dysfunction and you're trying to remedy it. That has to be difficult to go in and change change the culture because we were just talking about this yesterday with uh we had right. a meeting on zoom and we had like six of us together and we had we did a, it was called it was a, a team lunch so we're all on zoom together and we all had our they, they brought in jimmy johns for everybody right mm-hmm. and we're all having our sandwiches and talking to each other and just getting to know everybody because we've never met maybe i think we've met three people in person and maybe. there's like 70 yeah. people that work there otherwise everything's been remotely and telling them the culture there is just like so refreshing and you've got so many self-motivated helpful people that we've met so far um we're just blown away by this i just love it 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, the truth is that sometimes I do work with teams that have some dysfunction. I mean, if we're being honest, everybody has some, right? Yeah, it's a little bit. So everyone has a certain <laughs> amount of dysfunction. But what's what I really enjoy is working with the great teams that are trying to still elevate. So uh, that means they don't really have a lot of dysfunction. They do have some barriers or hurdles to get to the next level. Or when I say they want to stay where they're at because people are always chasing them. So I really enjoy working with the teams that actually are already in an A culture. But they're either a couple little holes developing or they want to become an A-plus culture. Or, as you know, teams change all the time in dynamics. Maybe a boss leaves or a key manager leaves. Isn't it crazy how with one, one person, one little cog in that wheel or whatever leaves that everything can just completely shift? Yeah, it can. <laughs> or, or the other way. That uh, one person leaves that is the, the, the cancer or the, the person that's, not, that's kind of making everything not work. Everything can just right itself like pretty quick yeah it's not a lot different in the business world and the sport world right it happens sometimes uh, more consistently in the sport world because people are always graduating or changing teams at the professional level but it happens way more than most people recognize in the business world and little tweaks of a of a of a team can impact culture greatly and it it impacts relationships and you have to start over in some sense that you form you're forming a new team even if the core of the team's still there it becomes a brand new team when Mm -hmm. you introduce new people and some leave and so it's a constant working mm-hmm. of culture. It's never fixed. Mm-hmm. Some people think that culture is fixed, and and you know you have to guard it. I call it jealously guard your culture because it can it can start to show some cracks, and sometimes you don't realize it until it's fully cracked. You can make excuses. Well, this year we're flat revenue wise. Our team was down a little bit. Well, we had injuries, or we had someone leave, or you know I'm right. not saying COVID that dramatic, but something's happened in the industry, and then a second year happens, and you can make excuses, but really maybe it's a culture thing that's starting to lead a bit Mm -hmm. and at some point you have to have awareness and a willingness to say you know what's my contribution to the problem if i'm the leader but also here's my organization what are we going to do about it because there's something wrong there's something off and we still might be at the top of our industry but we're bleeding a bit and we're Mm -hmm. people are catching us and sometimes it's very hard to take ownership into what's my role into that and how am i going to fix it i mean we've been in that situation Mm -hmm. but we were in the situation where we really didn't have any control and so you're seeing what's going on and it's like, ah, we don't have anybody to go to. What do, yeah. what do we do? And, and, I'm, and then I look at it from the other side, looking at it from where we're at now, <clears throat> bringing somebody new into something that's really, really good has to be scary. It's mm-hmm. got, I mean, talk about, mm-hmm. you know, just the saying, okay, we, we, need to, we need to bring this element in and these are the people, so we want to make sure it's the right fit because you don't want to upset the apple cart, right. so to speak. Yeah. Holy cow. But yeah. there are ways to fix all that stuff. I mean, there can be. I mean, if, if, if the inside culture wants it, whether and the culture, and I know we talked about this last time too, but the culture can also be um, a family, not just a business. It can be a big and it can be an extended family that maybe has something something going on, you know, that they can, you can fix those relationships pretty quickly if you really work at it. Yeah, I think what, you, what I would say is, and you know, you know, Jack Riggins, my Navy mm-hmm. SEAL partner, he'll say this too. As soon as you put two people together, that's a team. So it can be a family team. It can be a business team, a sport team. But anytime you have more than one person, we've now introduced ourselves into a team setting, right? And mm-hmm. at that point, we have to decide if we can fix it. Now, sometimes when the team's only two, it's a little bit easier because both people are in control of whether we want to fix that. As you get to a larger team, sometimes there's probably nothing worse than that feeling of, 
I know there's a problem, but I have no control over to fix yeah. it. And the team leaders or the or the CEO or the coach and then the team leaders, captains, managers, mm-hmm. they are blind to it and have no interest in fixing it. And I can see where it's going and the trust is breaking down, but I don't have any control over what to do Truth. about it as a mm-hmm. teammate. And it's that's a very tough spot to be in. And we've got to work those problems. And it always starts at the top. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, I can't really be around teams or organizations if it if the top doesn't want to change. That's I just, I'm not the right person to be there because they have to understand that I come up from a positive psychology framework and I need to get people to psychological safety, meaning people feel safe to take risks and be vulnerable in front of each other because you can't get to trust if you can't get there. And if the top of the organization doesn't want that um, and they feel like they have the right um, recipe for success, I'm okay with that. That's you. That's you get to you get That's to coach it. any way you want to, mm-hmm. but I'm probably not the one to come in and help you because we don't align on how to get there. Um, and I just so I'm very careful the same thing about having a right fit. Like, are you the right person to help my business or sport team or whatever? Right. You know, do we align on how we're going to get there? Even if they don't know how to get there, but they say, "I like your approach." That's I don't know how to do it myself. I'm not mm-hmm. naturally a positive psychology guy. You know, my coaches mm-hmm. or my bosses used to you know coach out of fear to me or coach out of negativity or, you know, always threaten to fire me. And yes, I don't know any other way, but I know that's the wrong way today. Um, but I don't know how to do it. And I like your approach. Now I'm, I can work with that. How is that, how is that the wrong way today? Cause I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Cause I was, I grew up where my coaches weren't mm-hmm. like negative, but it was a lot of yelling, a lot of, you know, I can't you believe didn't want you to be did embarrassed yeah, and that, yeah, they would use that because, and that's, that's where, and cause when you said it's not that way today, what changed what, with the way that people learn from 25, 30 years ago versus Yeah, there's probably a few different things. But one, there are a lot more people 20 generation or two ago that went their families had military experience and there's a certain sort of military way of doing things now jack has a very different view on how you get to love and trust and brotherhood which is more in alignment with me but there's a lot of more people have this militaristic kind of view of things and the family systems were that way anyway right Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that that was the right way to do it it's the way it was done and what i mean by that is you can still win and be successful with that method for a period of time. But if you're going to coach out of fear and negativity, it there's eventually the payoff ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, and again, I don't like to knock on specific people, but I, I think people can relate to Bobby Knight as a coach in Indiana basketball. But <laughs> you know, the thing about him is, is that he peaked in 1986. His last 20 years of his career, he deteriorated in performance. Mm-hmm. And some of that has to be on him. Right. Meaning he didn't evolve. His way might have worked if you have the very right wiring of people. Like there are certain people who can handle that kind of negativity and being coached out of fear. And if you do happen to recruit the right collection of people to that organization, there may mm-hmm. be more success than other times. But, you know, people have learned a different way over time today, just like, I don't know, you know, 100 years ago, women couldn't vote, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean it was right. Right. You know, and so I think we've learned that there's a better way to get more out of people, you know, mm-hmm. and I always say, and catch people doing something right, yes. reinforce that behavior. It doesn't yeah. mean you don't hold them accountable, but you will get people to run through walls for you that way. And the other way is you get people to run through walls a little bit for you because they're afraid of losing their position being fired, being embarrassed, mm-hmm. being humiliated. But at some point, mm-hmm. the payoff ends. And people, what happens in my experience, more in the sport world now, is that people play out of fear. Yep. And again, if you're so much better than everybody else, you can probably win that way. But because I think there's so much more parity today in everything, business and sport, you better have a competitive edge. And if you can only do it 
if you can only stay composed mm-hmm. when you're the best out there and when it's not that big of a situation yeah. or you're winning and everything's going right, but what happens when it gets to what I call one and done? You're in the playoffs or you need to win this game to advance. And now fear starts to set in because now we're worried about, you know, we've only been coached that way, negativity, mm-hmm. fear-based. We're worried about being embarrassed or humiliated. Teams tend to unravel under that kind mm-hmm. of pressure when things are more even against their yeah. competition. And so I'm a big believer you've got to train the right way of mindset mm-hmm. so that when you are in the biggest moments and you are going against teams or businesses that are mm-hmm. more similar in talent to you, that you can compete with them under pressure yes. when it matters the most. And once people go out and say, you know, I want to, I want to go against the best. I always want to go against the best. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. how you know that that's somebody that's in the right headspace because they're, they're, they're ready to go. They're they are ready. ready. And then can yeah. they do it if they've been punched in the mouth, so to speak? Like, let's suppose you're behind or maybe you didn't yeah. start out so well or maybe you had a bad quarter business-wise. Yeah. Like, now yeah. do you change your value system? Do you change the processes that you know work for you mm-hmm. or do you panic? That's so, where you have to trust Yes. In what you know. You have to trust right? in what you know, and you have to have the right mindset and training to do that because when we get under pressure like that, because you and I talked about that briefly off, yes. the fight or flight can kick in or the freeze can kick in. <laughs> and either one of those under pressure makes us change our behavior and we start doing things that we didn't train our minds or body to do for thousands yeah. of hours. And then the big moment hits because we've started out in a struggle or we're behind and now we're doing crazy things that yeah. we didn't, our body isn't reacting the way it's supposed to or our mind and we either freeze or we get into fight or flight mode. And either one of those lead to underperformance, right? Business, sport, or life, family system-wise, right? Let me ask you this after COVID and the the quarantine. Mm -hmm. Because I imagine what what you teach people and what you work with people on I'm thinking a lot of families went through this because everything got changed. Every th- the rules were changed. How we do business, how we do family, how we do social, mm-hmm. everything was changed. All of a sudden, you're around this group of people that has the same last name or not, whatever, but they live under the same roof, and you're around them a lot more than you used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and the patterns have changed. Um, getting getting your head wrapped around that, have you seen any of that or or? I, I guess really what's what's been your thoughts on this whole quarantine thing? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, right? But let's just yeah. think about the stress that goes along with that, right? We love being around people, but maybe not all the time. And we also have to realize, and um, a couple of thoughts I have on this is that in retrospect now, and I'm equally to blame for this, but... A lot of times as adults, I really have figured this out. And I figured this out working with so many athletes and teams right now in the last couple of months between the ages of 16 and 24. The amount of psychological distress that I am seeing in this age group is off the charts. And at first, I wondered if it was a little embellished. You know, one person says it, another. And it's not. And in fact, so many of the kids I've been around and young adults, they've been telling us openly in our team meetings that they've had terrible thoughts, suicidal thoughts. And you're like, or have attempted suicide and nobody knew about it in their team and then the cdc came out you know about two months ago about one out of four 18 to 24 year olds had had contemplated suicide in that prior month due to the pandemic so (laughs) thinking about it in retrospect and me taking ownership for it as well as an adult and parent when we first started this happening as parents and adults we wanted to offer perspective meaning you know, it's not, you know, it could be worse, right? Your, your, you know, your father still has a job or we're not homeless or we have some money in the bank or, you know what, it's just homecoming. 
Oh, or right. oh my God, graduation, graduation, right? It yeah. could yeah. be worse. And what I realized was is what, what listening to all these young kids talk and why didn't your parents know that you were having suicidal thoughts or attempted? Well, you know, they never asked me how I'm feeling or when they do, they invalidate me, meaning it's always could be so much worse. And I know where we were coming from. We were trying to offer genuine perspective, but I think yes. what we did and I know this in my own world too, is we've discounted, you know, I can just tell you about one of my sons. Okay. So, and I won't go into all the details, but you know, he, um, you know, school got ended at Nebraska. He's a junior in college. Right. He's a referee. Both of his referee jobs ended right now. I'm like, but you know what? We're lucky. You don't need a job. Right. Um, which he wanted to earn his own key, but I'm saying you're lucky, you know, you don't have to right now, but he can't work. That's, there's a certain amount of value that goes along with working and earning your own keep. School's over, you know, doing it all by, and on and on and on. Sports ended. If you're a sports nut and you look forward to the NCAA tournament, right? And it just right. ends on a diamond. And all these things happen. A summer trip that was planned that got canceled right. with all your friends. And again, discounting it not intentionally but going look what else you know let's compare it to somebody we know whose grandfather died or who's on the ventilator and but what i've learned is and i'll take ownership for this is that sometimes we invalidate feelings meaning like look i'm still suffering here and i'm telling you what i'm upset about Mm -hmm. and you're like but it could be worse or it could be this sure i think that's the biggest part I've seen is is that families haven't known how to respond. And they're young so kids. Do you think they that- haven't seen that. They haven't seen what we've all seen. We have these adult minds that we can see perspective better than the selfish which they normally are, 16 yes. to 24-year-olds that are focusing on school and going out and social life. how many adults are life? having those same, trying to, trying to justify it by saying it could be so much worse, and they're invalidating their own feelings. Right. Sure, yeah, that for sure. That they're saying, well, God, come on, it could be so much. We've got food in the fridge. We've got right. a roof over our heads. We're, we're fine. Well, no, I can't go see my parents or I can only see them across the driveway or, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's what we got to do. Or I can't go in the grocery store without a mask or, you know, it's like, and you're, you do have other thoughts, mm-hmm. but you invalidate yourself because you justify it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. It so or hard. how is this going to look in, in 30 years when these kids become 40, 45, 50 years old? What's it going to be like? Hmm. Well, I think they're going to always look back at this time. This is a traumatic period, right? So 9-11 was a traumatic period for yep. some people. And what we realize is, is, you know, you know, we're like, when are we going to get back to normal? Well, we never got back to normal after 9-11, right. but it feels normal. Like we'll never go back to not having that level of security at an airport. Right. But most of us don't hardly even remember what it was like beforehand. But when it's, you tell somebody right too, if you talk to somebody who never flew before 9-11 mm-hmm. and you talk about I mean the gates were wide open you'd walk right through and, and mm-hmm. everybody go out on the tarmac and mm-hmm. load up in a small plane sometimes or there was no security at all and then you'd think back to that you're like that's just that's just Insanity. crazy <clears throat> right? but so you still yeah, have to work yeah. through the grief process it's traumatic yeah. so if you get stuck in it you know some kids are going to be fearful for the rest of their life when's the next pandemic going to hit or you can still work through this and go you know what we as human beings evolve and we adjust and there's been lots of traumatic times in this world i mean the 1918 I was flu, gonna, right right and, that's what i was just thinking the world wars the world um, wars how I mean, every family was everybody's chipping in going to the factories or going to help you know help the soldiers or being a soldier that affected like every family mm-hmm. every family yeah. think about the positive the positive part that came out about this because some of us were talking about this that when was the last time i hate to say this that the united mm-hmm. states was truly united i mean like 
everyone fighting on the same page or something. It was World War II, like because we are our, our survival was at stake. So everybody was doing something there. Like you were working in a factory, you, your That's business true. converted into a factory. Now I would say that, so one of the beauties that came out of that is I think there was a connection that people didn't right. feel right. And I think we saw it for a couple of months after nine 11, meaning again, yes. survival, we did. but yes. it quickly then debilitated but into political stuff. We don't stuff. have that now. We don't. Nobody but, knows what to but do. But some family systems and, Groups have become closer than ever through this. Mm-hmm. So it's not, there have been a lot of positives that have come out of this, whether it's technology and me learning how to use Zoom and work with teams all over the country. <laughs> right. It's weird little stuff like that, or just the fact that so many have learned to go hiking together as a family and spend more time together. Do different things. A lot of the college kids that are athletes that I know would say, when I came home mm-hmm. for a weekend from college, I'd be in my room all weekend. Mm-hmm. But during the, during the spring, when they were home, they'd start coming out more and they'd start playing board games and talking and laughing and saying, you know, I, I never, I took this all for granted when I'd come home for a weekend. I just wanted to be away from everybody. And now I'm mm-hmm. like, all we have is each other. Yeah. And so I think there's been a lot of positives that come out of it too. I don't know what it's going to look like in 20 or 30 years. I think there'll be different problems and this will yeah. be just something we remember something like 9-11, not yeah. that we forget it. Um, but we're, we, you move on as human beings. Yeah. Like we don't stay in our grief all the time. If we did, we'd all walk around or a lot of us would walk around in grief all the time because we've all lost people. Mm-hmm. And so you still lose people, but you have this perspective about what their life's meant or whatever. And it becomes a part of your memories and mostly positive. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a really tremendous grief, which right. you know some right. of those happen too. Some but I mean, yeah, that's true. but a lot of times we find a way to just cope better and move on and learn from that experience and embrace the memories. That's a good way to look at. It. Let's let's talk about your book too. You brought us a book. I did. <laughs> so I autographed it for you too, and even wrote you a little note. Sweet. Oh my god, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Oh, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I think last time you were in, you were just finishing it up. Like, I, yeah, so that's great. To, yeah. That's great to see that it's it's done. And this is great. And I'm people can buy this on Amazon. Where can yeah. they get this? It's called Max Out Mindset. Yeah, I'm really proud of it because I'm not an author. But um, can't say that anymore. No, I, but I have not. <laughs> I mean, point. I'm not a writer, I guess I would say. And so it's been a real joy for the me to was do by this. Dr. Tom Osborne. Yeah. So he wrote the foreword. That's nice. <laughs> Name then, dropper. Yeah. And, um, you know, I got some cool testimonials on the back from a couple of my favorite coaches, Coach Kirsten Bernthal Booth from Creighton. Yes. Coach John Cook. Um, you know, a couple uh, really important business people in my life, Mike Kathleen, Kyle Salem, a couple of local businessmen for Castling and Sequence. And so, you know, I mean, the book has just been about my journey over the last 20 years and what I've learned in working with the best athletes and coaches and leaders and teams around the country. And then what I what I've learned to help them and then what I've learned from them and their experiences. And, um, you know, I organized it in a way that um I hope helps people out. I mean, I've organized it in a way that my introduction is about preparing for battle. And then my next section is called Max Out Your Mind. And next section is Max Out Your Emotions. And then the last section is Max Out Your Teams. And I feel like you first have to prepare, like, what's the philosophy and psychology? How do you prepare your mind for battle? What are the skills to help you max out as your mind and emotions? Mm-hmm. And then if you if you're on a team... And most of us are, like we said, even if it's a family you team, yeah. how do you max out your team in a way that um, you, you can do it when it matters? Because like I say, if you can't do it when it matters, what's the point? And yeah. so um, each one of my chapters is a different power or an ingredient that I feel like if you um, need help on that particular power or if you're interested in all of them, will help you do what I just told you, max out your mind. I like how this is set up. This is and, um, that you're right. If you're looking at particular 
things. But then again, the other side, I was just reading what Coach uh, Cook wrote. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's really, that's really um, honest what he wrote. In 2009, I realized that athletes were changing and I was struggling as a coach. And that's when he found. God, how many times does a coach's ego get in the way from actually yeah. making that statement? Well, let's think about this for a minute. When I met him at that time, I'm close on the record here. His record was 306 wins and 26 losses. Think hmm. about that. He had won over 90% of his games, and he'd won two national championships in the first eight years of his career that's as a insane. head coach at Nebraska. And he was in yeah. Wisconsin for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And but he was listening to his bits. rawness. So two things about that. One, athletes were changing. And as you read in the book, he was going through a um, a real struggle emotionally with his nervous system and mentally and physically. Um, in part, I think because and he's wrote about it in his own book. He's very honest about it. The pressure to win and to be and you know and to have the ego of sure. perfection. And if I don't win at all, am I a failure? Did I fail my mm. team? Did I fail? The state. And when you get into that position where if you don't win at all, if you don't win the whole thing, you're less than right. perfect and a failure. That's a very challenging what space. About Coach to be Osborne in. being in that space for X amount of years when, you know, no national championship, nine and three, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. How much the weight of the state? I say the for world, but it might as well years, be the world. Yeah. Or you couldn't yeah. win the big one. First, you can't beat Oklahoma. Then right. you can't beat Miami. Then you can't beat a Florida team in Florida. There's never and enough pressure, never right? Enough. Yeah. And if, what's really funny about that is if you go back for people who love Nebraska sports, 10,000 people filled a petition out on Bob Devaney in 1968 when he went six and four for the second straight year. Think about it. They wanted to fire him. So think of how, how terrible you are with fight or flight or that freeze. Right. When they wanted him gone, it was one year before his best three years in Nebraska history. 70 and 71. If yeah. they fired him. Now, they wanted to fire um, Tom Osborne in 78 or 77. He yes. lost to Oklahoma five straight years. Same thing. He almost went to Colorado over <laughs> the... Then he almost had his best years in 81, 82, 83 before the end, right? And again, they wanted Osborne gone in the early 90s. Remember, we got beat bad to Georgia Tech or whoever, Virginia. And they're like, you know, his teams will never win the big one. We were one year away from going 60 and three. So (laughs) as human beings, we are terrible predictors of how quickly we give up on people, Have right? Have you ever seen that cartoon where there's a guy that's digging and he's trying to get to the outside and he, he, he just gives up and he's like an inch away from busting through? Mm-hmm. It's like, that's like mm-hmm. right when it seems like you're, you're at your wits end, one more day. Think of Shawshank Redemption. You remember that movie? Yes. Yeah. He had to crawl through, literally through manure. Yeah. Yes. Imagine if he had given up, you know, just, you know, one step sooner. But yeah. we give up on people oftentimes right at the time they're ready to have their breakthrough again. Or we get caught up in a bad year and say they need to go. That Not just for coaches. It can be yeah. in any aspect yeah. of our life. And I think there's just good lessons to learn from all that. And, and, um, and you know, and, yes. and, and it's really cool when top coaches like Coach Booth and oh. Coach Cook and others in this book um, are really open and honest about you know where their challenges were and what it took to get to the next to the next level again mm-hmm. or how do I elevate my team when we've had a little drop off when you know things have had a crack in the culture a little bit I like how imagine, do I get it back like coach cook when he's struggling like that and he's thinking that you know I don't know if I can keep this together but yet he's also has the responsibility to keep the team up mm-hmm. While he's going down. And if you're feeling that way, and again, 
in his chapter called The Power of Evolution, which I'm really proud of about him. Like my the two chapters, well, there's several of them. I'm really proud of the chapter, The Power of Positive Leadership on Coach Booth, because when I first met her in 2012, mm-hmm. she had taken Creighton from scratch. They were 3-23 and and playing in a high school gym mm-hmm. as a D1 team. And she gets her team to the playoffs, and they actually win a first-round game against Iowa State in 2010. And the next year with a very talented team, they fell short. And she said on a podcast with Terry Pettit that she looked her team in the eye in November and she realized she had lost her team. And you know how devastating that is? Mm. She said, I'd never felt that before. And so she had this big same thing, like, how, what do I need to do different here? Like, here I've moved this team up. Every year it got better. Now we've had this drop off, a lot of challenges. And my team doesn't believe in me anymore like how did that happen and so that's when she reached out and the evolution of things that she did to become the best leader i've ever been around and a well-rounded person and then coach cook the same way when you read about some of his mood and behaviors in 2009 well i didn't know he was going through this own crisis Mm -hmm. he had reached out because he had felt like he needed help with his leadership group Mm -hmm. that year and along the way when i went back and as i was writing about him and slamming his clipboard into some of the angst he was having it was a lot of his own stuff but his team was feeling it all like you yeah. said so if the leader is modeling fear and anxiety which it was in his fault that's what he was experiencing and he didn't know what to do about it the people you lead are going to feel it but for him to be that vulnerable and honest and say um i need help with this mm-hmm. and like you read about that and then he needed more help with that along the way it wasn't a one-year fix it was four or five years of saying how do i get there and truly evolve to give my the people i lead the best chance with changing generational things changing parent helicopters um, oh my compliance gosh. issues in college. So many outside stimulus. Jeez, right? Uh. It's not the X's and the O's, usually in the business world or the sport world, that makes the difference for the leader. It's can you make a connection? Mm-hmm. Will you spend time building deeper relationships with those you lead? Will you show them some level of appropriate vulnerability? And can you teach mm-hmm. them how to have a psychologically safe organization? Meaning, I feel safe to take risks, and no matter what I say, I don't have to worry about a teammate or a coach or a manager or a boss humiliating me, Mm -hmm. making me feel less than I am, bullying me. That is where where teams need to get to. Mm -hmm. And most teams think when they're in a slump, more training in the business world. We're gonna give you more leadership training, more X's and O's, more strategy sessions. More HR meetings. More HR meetings, (laughs) and that's, not what they need. And in the right. in, in Coach Cook's world, his mantra was, we're going to just train harder and train more. I'm like, you're the most trained team in the world. Can't train up anymore. What are we missing here? What are we not training? Right. right. And when he finally understood that and, and committed to that, same with Coach Booth, um, different perspective, different wires, different personalities, when they figure that piece out, both their teams have gone to places yes. that nobody would have ever thought they could go again. And it's what I love incredible. about this book is that the the promise of being able to do with your team what you've done with Creighton and with Nebraska volleyball and to help your team, your family or whatever mm-hmm. with it those applies. same techniques and the same mindset could be game changing for yeah. whatever you've got going on in yeah. your life. Thank you for that. Most of it's yeah. taught through the lens of sport, but I 
you know, use a lot of business examples in tier two. And what did Google, what did MIT, what did the best in the world, when they studied what made great teams, mm-hmm. what did they learn about the key ingredients that made a championship or elite business team or right. a group or a sport team and kind of put all that together? It wasn't an accident. No, and these same things <laughs> right. are being done, right? you know, yeah. for me. Yeah. So I'm so lucky to work with a lot of high school and NAI teams. And whether they are the most talented team or not, to watch them max out at their own level mm-hmm. and to get to the end of the year um jordan larson who's a very famous mm-hmm. volleyball player yes um i think this is just worth telling but she was just on my podcast too the max out mindset podcast but she was telling a story and i asked her about this um she was on the 2008 team that coach cook would still say is one of his favorite teams maybe his favorite team mm-hmm. and what's interesting about that team is they didn't take off their jerseys when they lost in the final four they all slept in them and I always said... I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't either. <laughs> so what's interesting is the 2006 team at Jordan's won the national title. She mm-hmm. was a sophomore. The 2007 team had two national players of the year on it because one had registered the year before. First time in NCAA history. Wow. And that team fell short. And if you listen to Jordan, she'll say, you know, we didn't embrace our roles the way we needed to on that team and we didn't build connections. We'll move forward mm-hmm. to the eight team. No expectations. Their setter in the offseason quit. They lost all their players of the years. Jordan's the only returning starter with any real kind of credibility. I'm not mm-hmm. knocking it. Like she said, sure. we have all kinds of talent on this team. And the way they evolved that year and built relationships and love and some of the challenges they had, which I know about but can't share necessarily, mm-hmm. but some backstories, they got to a situation where in November – well, Jordan Larson's mom is very ill with breast cancer, and they're at Washington, but her mom's there but can't go to the game. She has to stay in the hotel, and they're down 9-3 to three in Game 5. Anyone who knows volleyball, they played a 15 mm-hmm. in Game 5. The odds of winning that, right? this is the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. They pull it off, a miracle. The Final Four is in Omaha. They're playing Penn State who has never lost a set. They're undefeated. I remember this. Yeah, undefeated, and they swept. <laughs> getting gooseys just thinking about it again. They swept every single game. Like, nobody's ever done that in NCAA history. Not only yep. are they undefeated, they went 3-0 in every matchup. And Nebraska's down 0-2 against Penn State. And they win game three. They win game four. And they're up, I think, 9-8 in game five. Nebraska went on to lose that game. You know, fair yeah. and square. Mm-hmm. But what they did that year, right? So after that loss, they wouldn't take their jerseys off. And they slept in them. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't remember that. But we just had a Zoom reunion with the 2008 team. And she's telling this story. And it's, she's like, it's giving me chills hearing about the eight season. But to me, that's a definition of success. Where I was getting at, whether it's a, I say, a 500 high school team. Um, there's nothing better than a team that wants to play one more time together. Yeah. That's that connected and loves mm-hmm. each other that they yeah. want to be together one See, more time. That's right? what the quarantine. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids got denied that senior year, that yes. senior season. Oh, yes. Baseball. Everything. Yeah, everything. It's terrible. And, and you, when you hear that and how important those connections are, mm-hmm. um, that that they just didn't even get to happen. And it was happening at the same time they lost their connections day-to-day with yes. their friends. Like they were Rough. could talk on Zoom. What's really interesting, what I learned about wow. this, I'm curious what you think about this too because you have kids in a similar age, is they embrace technology and they can sit in the same room with one another and then be on like, <laughs> like FaceTime with somebody or yeah. whatever. But what I learned from them is that that doesn't work as well for them when they don't have the connection. And I don't think they realize that either, that if the human connection face-to-face wasn't there, the other piece didn't work as well for them. 
And so they were yeah, missing my daughter's all these way. levels. Yeah. And they figured out that like, even though we're in the same room and we're doing our own thing, we're still connected. Mm-hmm. But when we're trying to do it all by technology, it's rough. They, it's, it's really hard. Yeah, rough. My daughter so, changed. She changed at the end of last year. She mm-hmm. just was not the same kid. Mm-hmm. was miserable. And you know, she was, she's a very social person. Mm-hmm. And just like you had said it, without that, so, that physical social interaction, that the other side of it doesn't work as well, and that is her to a T. Now my son's different. Yeah. He does like whatever. He could. He did Zoom. He just didn't even want to go to school. He's fine. He didn't. He's do. He did fantastic. Mm-hmm. In, he did better at home in Zoom than he did in school. Two totally different personalities. Some introverts and yeah. different personalities actually work better. But yeah. the yeah. vast majority, especially the girls, even the guys, though, to a significant degree. That loss of connection, mm-hmm. and you add sport and all those other things into it. But so they, I think yeah. they have a greater appreciation of the importance of human contact than they did six months ago. That's they a good co- point. Yeah, you know, they that do. right there. That's that's worth thinking oh, yeah. about because every it was all moving so fast technologically, mm-hmm. and and people who were adults who maybe didn't grow up with it or. Um, it came into your life maybe in your twenties or something mm-hmm. like that, and so you've 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 you know, encouraged or included it in your life, but you remember doing things the old way mm-hmm. and you you watch the kids doing it now and it's like they've never had that opportunity to live without that yeah and and i look at it as an opportunity but to mm-hmm. some it looked like a punishment yeah and when you add all the other things in there it got to dark places for yeah. a lot of kids yeah. who've yeah. never gone to dark places and maybe there we'll be is. better equipped wow. if something comes up again or this I think we will. Or whatever. I think we will. I think this really helped us kind of reorganize our lives a little bit. Mm-hmm. Put what's Prioritize. important in front. Yeah, and be and and not waste so much and not not waste so much time, but not waste. I mean, even not even having to necessarily go into an office to work. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. to to waste the the, the hour routines. and a half commuting oh. every single day. You get up, you work, you get your job done, and businesses are are thriving from that aspect. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just a new way to look at things. I think it's going to help. Uh, overall, I think it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, what we're talking yeah. about is learning to evolve and adapt, which yeah. is with human beings, we can do better sometimes than even the animal world, although they do a wonderful job They're in different amazing. ways too. But yeah. we can evolve <laughs> and adapt. And I think that's, you know, I think that's what I love is eventually, you know, as part of if you want to be a great leader and produce a great team, you have to be willing to evolve and adapt as a parent. Mm-hmm. as a coach as a business leader because things are always changing and yeah. and sometimes they change rapidly like with covid that nobody really had a chance to plan for others no. sometimes are visionary and see what's happening and they evolve and adapt in advance but there's some that will fight it all the way and say this is the way i've always done it it's worked for me and yeah. if it doesn't work anymore i'm going to go down with it and, and then you see people in the business and sport world deteriorate yep. as a leader and, and yeah. so even though they suffer what's really suffering is the people People they lead and right. those yeah. kids and people their employees don't get the best experience anymore and they're like man i had a great experience with so-and-so but man the last 10 years have been a brutal experience like i don't crazy. like this anymore yeah. and yeah. you know and so um anyway that's kind of why you know i guess circling that's I why i wrote the book and it's um, great i mean honestly this is it can't it's not just for sports and you even have it on the front though it's for battle and business sport and life and um, your your team, helping your team make it through. Like, like you said, when this all happened for some people lifting their head up out of their routine and looking around a little like, oh, we're going to have to make some changes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and for some it was okay, but for others it was difficult. Mm-hmm. And this can maybe help 
put things back in perspective. Yeah. Well, Doc, you're awesome. Hopefully there's not another big quarantine before the next time you come. But Max Out Mindset podcast also out there. Make sure yes. you guys look for it. We'll put a link in our show notes to your podcast so people can go in and subscribe to it. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's, it's finally out on Amazon, but you can go to our own site, performancemountain.com. Um, back, well, I'll send them there. right there, there and, yeah. and you can click on Max Out Mindset or the book will pop right up I will tell you yeah. this I mean if you put Larry which is my name L-A-R-R-Y into the discount code you can get $5 off the book what, what? look at you big time you yeah, for, we don't even have a discount I know do you, get, well, do you get a kickback Scott made that discount oh, code for me man. no so yeah because <laughs> do you get a kickback for that no you no. No, <laughs> no I don't get a kickback your That's audience gets $5 it's off pap, it's going to Papik's pocket yeah well the person who buys the book on your podcast will pay $19.95 instead of $24.95. That's awesome. I think, Very nice. I think Amazon, who sets their own prices, sells it for $25. So. Okay. Cool. Well, we'll put oh. that in, in the show notes. But too, yeah, so, so okay. it's always fun to talk to you guys. You too. I learn something every time. I love it. You're Thank welcome you. anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Doc. Yeah. Pat and JT Podcast. A Huda Media Production.